Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming up, weird fiction, body horror, and the banality of terror. Yes, it's tax day, but I'm also talking to the folks from Dead Signals about Archive 81 and the Deep Vault. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Today, we're going to be hearing some work from Mark Solinger and Dan Powell, two recently ascendant power players within the audio fiction genre. They specialize in horror fiction, and to date have created two successful podcasts, a one-shot sci-fi horror adventure called The Deep Vault, and an ongoing atmospheric horror series called Archive 81. It took me a while to get going on either, because if you know me, you know that I frighten very easily, and horror isn't exactly my bag. But... Dan and Mark are sound people, and their mastery of design was too good for me to stay away for long. I like their work because of how knowledgeable it is about sound in space, the textures of audio recordings, and bodies. Ugh, especially how knowledgeable it is about bodies. Archive 81's first season is about a young man with a new job, and recordings from an uncanny apartment building, and the dangers of listening. With their kind permission, I now present to you Episode 1, Season 1 of Archive 81. Take a listen, if you dare. Is this all right? We're recording. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Whenever you're ready. Oh, right. On March 7th, 2015, I, Daniel Powell, a temporary archivist for the Housing Historical Committee of New York State, give full verbal consent to be recorded. Hey, Dan, just a quick note. Full is kind of a wishy-washy word. Legal prefers the word complete, complete verbal consent. It's kind of what's written on the paper. Sorry, my fault. Do you want me to read it again? If you would. Sure, totally. I, Daniel Powell, a temporary archivist for the Housing Historical Committee of New York State, give complete verbal consent to be recorded. Great job. Now it's all legally binding. Good stuff. And uh, just a quick reminder, we do require you to record everything. Really important. Actually, about that, Mr. Davenport, when I was uh, reading the agreement thoroughly, I was a bit unclear on what exactly that was all about. Exactly what it says, Dan. Record everything. I'm surprised you haven't encountered similar language before. It's industry standard. Oh, sure. Of course, obviously I have, but everything? Everything? Don't worry about it, Dan. Just leave it on and forget about it. It's just for liability, legal stuff, lawyers, right? I heard a joke about lawyers once. Really? Yep. And when I need to change batteries, I'll... It's electrical. Just charge it while you sleep. All right, yeah, okay, sure. We're here, after you. Oh, sure. There's... There's a lot of space here, isn't there? Yes, Dan, we're a fair distance into the woods, for the isolation. 
sensitive materials and all that. Really loving the isolation, very zen. And the building's cool, too. Reminds me a bit of the library at my old college. Uh, all the concrete. It's you know, super... I really appreciate your enthusiasm. Here it is. This is your Sue's Casa, your den, your living space. Just put your stuff here. You can unpack later. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll just put it on the bed. Standard twin. You brought your own sheets, right? Oh, no, I didn't know I was supposed to. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just use a blanket or something. You're a trooper. Pantry's through here. Right by the stove and microwave. That's uh, a lot of... Canned peaches. Yep, really nutritious, really filling. And, hey, the company was able to buy them in bulk. Plenty of other stuff to chow down on as well. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I love peaches, and my girlfriend gave me a crockpot, so... I'll ask you if you still feel that way about peaches in a couple of months. Am I right, buddy? Shit, what was that? Language. And that's just the electrical system. Really finicky, but nothing to concern yourself with. Power should come back on in less than five minutes. Or even sooner, in this case. Really, don't worry about it, Dan. Nothing more than a temporary annoyance. Nothing to concern a sport like you. Old buildings and all that. How old is this place? Pretty old. Pretty old. And this is the Tape Library. Archive 73 through 92, though you'll just be focusing on 81. It's enormous. Really observant, Dan. You've been briefed? Yeah, uh, I mean, I understand what I'm supposed to do in a general sense. Log tapes, organize them, clean up the archive, digitize everything, and create a new metadata taxonomy. That's actually one of my specialties. Main thing to remember, and this is really important, play each tape in full with the recorder on. Sure, yeah, it'll be a good extra way to keep track of everything. Now what you'll be focusing on are these tapes right here. All this good stuff. Archive 81. Series of interviews in a high-rise apartment building, all from the mid-90s. HHC-NYS has deemed them historically significant. They're not in chronological order, or really any order. Kind of all jumbled together, so we're counting on you to fix that. That's, uh, that's a lot of tips. But once again, super observant, Dan. Oh, no, it's exciting. I, yeah, the historical preservation aspect was really what got me interested in this project. Wonderful. And the other tips? Haven't been logged yet, most of them, anyway. They haven't been looked at at all? The whole thing's immense. We've been trying to get everything sorted out for a while now. Good enough for government work, as my dad says. On a completely unrelated point, here's your badge. Thanks. Main doors require it, for if you really want to leave. The woods seem, you know, full of nature. I'll probably take a couple hikes or something. Just remember to keep recording. Lawyers. All right. Moving on. If we go to the auditory alcove, you'll notice the reel-to-reel. It's old, but fully functional. Yeah, yeah, it's a Otari 5050T model, right? Um, I've used similar things before, actually. My college library had a TAC A4010. Me and my advisor used it to catalog the university's ethnomusicological archives. So, yeah, I've got this. Uh-huh. Ethnomusicological. Now, that's a $5 word. Anyway, I'll shorten my required demonstration. This turns on power to the system. Thread the tape here, adjust volume, play, fast forward, stop here. It should auto-rewind at the end of the reel. 
Is there a tape repair kit around here? Because older tapes can... Nah, that really shouldn't be a problem. Just go easy on the machine. It's old. Not even to make sure... Dan, if we alter the tapes in any way, we're kind of defeating the purpose of the whole archive process, now aren't we? Just play the tapes, and you won't have any issues. Understood. Don't alter the tapes. Exactly, Dan. Make a log and description of anything of note. Digitize all that good stuff. Put them in chronological order. And remember, record everything. Really important. Sounds great. I've got it. Good. So, yeah, I think this is the part where I've got to say goodbye, Dan. You've got a long day ahead of you. Oh, am I on the clock now? In about uh, five minutes for when you fill out your timesheet. Yeah, legal thing. What are you going to do? I'm sure you can get situated tonight. Anyway, I'll leave you to it. Nice meeting you. I know you're going to knock it out of the ballpark. Thanks. All right. Bye, Dan. Wait, seriously? Five minutes? Really hoping no one actually listens to this. Whatever, it's just liability. All right, well, let's see what these tapes are all about. Okay, so... Yeah, it goes... Here, stupid reels. All right, it's... Here we go. Check. Check. Testing. Okay, we're good. Melody Pendris, February 17th, 1994. 1632. South exterior of the Visser building. This is an introductory survey of the Visser Towers residential block, as supervised by the Urban Preservation and Development Department of New York State. Exterior foyer is standard post-war construction. Appears well maintained. The main lobby is larger than you'd expect in a building of this size. No one's in it at the moment, which isn't strange considering its work hours. Okay, that's good for here. This is facilities room B1, gas and electrical metering. Meters are old, but not out of the ordinary. The whole facilities area seems well ventilated. Actually, surprisingly so. A lot less stuffy than my building's basement for sure. This is the first floor hallway. Conditions are fair, no windows. There are some stains on the wood, but nothing major. Sixth floor. Plan seems to be the same on all levels. Guess it's time to say hello. Hello? Hello? Sorry to interrupt. I'm Melody Pendris from the Urban Preservation and Development Department. I just want to ask a few questions about the building. Sorry, I don't mean to bother. If I could just get a moment of your time? Wait, what the? Hello? Okay, what the hell? Hello? What are you doing? Oh, sorry, you surprised me. That doesn't matter to me. Well, what are you doing? There were some odd sounds. I wanted to see where they were coming from. So you just decided to bother people in their apartments? I apologize. It looks like we got off on the wrong... Whatever they were doing, I'm sure they didn't like to be interrupted. There appears to be an echoing effect on the sixth floor. I'll ask the tenants about it when I begin my interviews. Shit, is my battery dying? Okay, that was weird. One down, three and a half billion to go. And here we are.
Melody Petrus, April 3rd, 1440, 416. Hello? Hey, do you mind if I record? I've been trying to talk to someone from the Historical Society for a while now, and well, we weren't really able to talk the last time I saw you. You're... you're Melody Pendris. Jacob, right? You know about me? You're recording this, right? Yes, but if that makes you uncomfortable, I can stop. No, no, keep recording. Samuel said it was important that you keep recording. Well, that's good, right? I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. I know what you're doing. All right. Then can we sit down somewhere? I can ask you about your time in Visser, the Historical Society. It'll be great. We'll, we'll stay here. We'll, we'll stay here. Sure. Whatever makes you more comfortable. Could I get you to say your name for the recorder? My name is... My name is Jacob Lester, but that's not... That's not... I'm not good at this! Not good at what? Shut up! I'm not good at talking to people, explaining things to people with limited perception. If you're going to act like this, I'm just going to leave. No, 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 I'll, I'll be nice. I, I promise. Please, stay. Uh, Samuel told me to give you a message. What did Samuel say? Samuel told me to, to tell you that it is not yet time for you to understand the work we are undertaking. It will be eventually, but not yet. Cycles upon cycles, stories upon stories, Melody. Until then, refrain from troubling the members of my society. You are disturbing them. Th that's what he said. He couldn't have told me himself? Samuel doesn't want to meet you yet, and I speak with his voice. Fine. Tell Sam- It's Samuel! Tell Sam that I don't want to antagonize him or his followers. I'd just like to talk to them, to get everyone's perspective. It's not like I'm accosting you. You're just the first member of Sam's whatever his thing is that I've gotten a chance to talk to. After you slammed the door in my face, I couldn't find anyone else. You wouldn't understand why. Because you're not telling me anything. Try me. Shortcuts. Shortcuts? This building has more shortcuts than you could possibly realize. Really? Where are they? It's not where, it's... You're you're taking my story out of me. Samuel said you would do this. He, he warned me. No, 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 I'm not. We're just having a conversation. It's the same thing. Get away from me. Jacob. Jacob, I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand. Where did he go? Damn. Shit, that was... Oh, is there... On February 2nd, 1994, I, Melody Pendris, a temporary researcher for the Urban Preservation and Development Department of New York State, give verbal consent to be recorded. This is pursuant to Clause D of Section 3451. What? Melody Pendrix, June 11th, 0233. Audio of equipment. Melody Pendrix, April 1st, 0105. Audio of 14th floor hallway. Please, please, no. What the hell? Alright, there's gotta be some way to fix this. They can't seriously mean don't repair the tapes at all. Heading to the boiler room. 
It's, it's growing hotter the further down I go. Samuel, he's going to be down there. He said he would and he never lies. He's an evil, soulless psychopath. <laughs> but he never lies. The architecture of this place, it's shifting. Something I noticed before, always out of the corner of my eye. Something else to ask Samuel about. I hope, I hope this works. If not, there's always my tapes. Someone can, well, best not to think about it. Samuel's going to. Okay, we're almost down there. Damn it. Okay, okay. Shit! Shit, 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 shit! No. No. Okay. God damn it. God damn it. And now I can't even see. Okay, shit. How do I turn this back on? Do I just wait until it turns back on naturally, or... Oh, thank God. And the tape is... Uh, the tape is broken. Okay? Okay, I can still fix this. Just put it... Uh, back here. Uh, yeah, that'll be it. Okay. Alright. What the hell was that? What the hell was going... Oh, damn it, the recorder. Hey, my name's Mark Sollinger. What you just heard was a small portion of the audio that my friend Dan Powell sent me. He, I guess the best way to describe it would be, would be that he disappeared right after sending me this. No one else seems like they're going to be able to help, so I will be releasing all of his audio to everyone, to everyone. If you know anything about Archive 81 or what's happened to Dan Powell, please email me at archive81podcast at gmail.com. That's archive81podcast at gmail.com. And if you don't, just tell all your friends about the podcast. Um, leave a review on iTunes. Visit our website, archive81.com. Just get the word out. I, I really need to know what's happened to Dan. Okay, thanks. That was episode one of Archive 81. If your interest is piqued, head to archive81.com. That's the word archive, then the numerals 81. I talked to Dan Powell and Mark Sollinger, the writers and producers behind Archive 81 and The Deep Fault. Now, just as a warning, this conversation includes significant spoilers for Archive 81, so if you haven't heard through at least season one of that show, and you don't want any plot details ruined for you, please... Stop this podcast now, download and binge their entire first season, and come on back to me when you're done. I'll wait. Alright. Mark, Dan, and I talked about their favorite horror fiction, how to scare people with sound, the enduring power of creative friendship, and the wonders of capitalism. Happy Tax Day. Check it out.
Dan and Mark, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks, David. Great to be here. <laughs> so uh, the two of you became friends at Syracuse University, working on a 10-episode radio drama series called Transmission. Mark, you wrote, produced, and directed Transmission. What can you tell me about that project? Um, sure. That was um, my capstone project, which is part of the honors program at Syracuse, which I mean, is very, very impressive and very cool and definitely something that you should be really just very impressed by. Um, and uh, the capstone project is like the big summation. You essentially have to do something cool or interesting. And I decided to write and produce uh, and direct a radio drama. Um, so, and then um, as I was trying to find a way to actually make it happen, um, I came across, I think Doug introduced us, right, Dan? We met at the launch party for a web series that I scored and that okay. uh, yeah. Mark's friend Chris slash roommate also did some scoring for. Yeah. That I believe was our first in-person encounter. Yeah. And did I did I ask you to um, be the main character yes. in the... Yes, you asked me to be the main character uh, one day when we were both checking radio equipment out of the cage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I wrote it, and uh, Dan was the uh, narrator and main actor in it. Uh, so um, he was a uh, huge, huge part of uh, the entire process. And you also helped me uh, with the sound recording, which is really, really helpful, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and that was my, my big capstone project. It was a released it as a podcast for a while and nobody listened to it because I didn't do anything to promote it. But, um, but now it's a Patreon bonus, right? Yeah. Now it's a, now it's a bonus of a, on our Patreon. So if you become a, um, essentially a patron of our work, you get access to a 10 episode science fiction audio drama. So yeah, that's, that's how we met. Very cool. I wanted to ask you, Mark, uh, sure. I saw that Bruce Coville, the author of A Hundred Books from My Childhood, <laughs> acted in Transmission. I know he yeah. lives in Syracuse, Yeah, but um, how, did you, how did you snag that? How did you end up talking to him? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I didn't uh, – Douglas Quinn is uh, the coolest person ever, I think it's – fair to say uh he's the in indiana jones for sound effects he'll go to a bunch of places and record all these weird sounds and he's just a really great guy and he teaches at syracuse and dan and i were in a couple of his classes together and yeah we just bonded over that and he's 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 very good at like getting people he likes to do work together so um that was that was the case in that. Um, so uh, one of the teaching assistants, uh, I think, just introduced me. Uh, uh, I sent an email list to a bunch of uh, acting groups, and he he was on it. And this this may not be a hundred percent accurate. It was it was definitely a while ago, but um, he mentioned that he might want to do some acting, and uh, I I didn't realize who he was until like. Uh, until I Googled him. And then I realized, oh, wait, I've read a bunch of his books when I was in elementary school. This is so, 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 so cool. Right. And yeah, yeah, he he played uh, the Gandalf mentor character in, in the whole thing. It was, it was, it, I got a really big kick out of working with him. He does full cast audiobooks now, right? That's his, yeah. that's his bag? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole like Syracuse audio drama, audio, audio work, a uh, little community there. Yeah, and I think he kind of heads that up. 
That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, this is a question for both of you. What did you learn from transmission that you've carried into your present day work? So I learned that I love writing um, audio drama. I love the form of audio drama. And I can definitely do sound effects and do Foley work. And I, I'm very proud of what um, we were all able to accomplish with transmission. Like comparing the experience of Archive 81 and the Deep Vault and our future projects to transmission, I am just immensely immensely grateful that i get to work with dan i think transmission taught me that i one i work really well with dan in whatever capacity it is and two i do really it is amazing to have somebody like dan to be able to Aww. work on sound effects with because he is mark you're making just, me blush oh <laughs> yeah he's just immensely talented and i'm very grateful i get to work with him Dan, what did you learn from working on Transmission? Well, I learned Mark's uh, a good friend. Thank you, Mark, for that. Um, I guess I learned that, uh, I'm not sure, acting-wise, I feel like I learned what my limitations were, and I think I know a little more about voice acting, but also know, like, what my range is. You know, I don't think I'm a character actor who can sort of move between different voices and roles. I think I can do basically an exaggerated version of myself pretty naturally, but apart from that, it's interesting because a lot of what I feel like I've learned lately working on Deep Fault and Archive 81 and everything beyond uh, is all in a post-production capacity, so things I wasn't really involved in with transmission. I do think the one thing, it's really important for your core cast to be good, but for them to have chemistry and get along and really yeah. be a tight-knit group. Um, you could really tell the difference when the core cast is like a good ensemble of people who work well together and enjoy each other's company versus like the opposite of that. Um, right. And that was definitely true in transmission because we had all our friends together working on it and Bruce Coville, you know, being like an intimidatingly amazing actor. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, just like, Oh, Hey, I'm just doing this for fun. You know, in the room with him, mm -hmm. uh, he, his presence didn't intimidate me or anyone else out of feeling like insecure is more like, Oh, it was, it was like having a paladin in your party and like a, you know, in Diablo or something. And he was casting auras that made everyone else better. So, uh, -huh. uh sure. yeah, <laughs> so. man, it is really interesting that you bring up Diablo <laughs> because as I'm listening to season two of archive 81, I, I kind of see in my mind's eye, like late game landscapes from the Diablo series. Like the when you're in Pandemonium and there's all these like just creatures just made of legs, just yeah. flesh beasts tottering around. Yeah. I have never played Diablo. Okay. I, I, yeah. Because uh, I, I saw elsewhere that you're not actually that into horror as a, as a medium, right? I, I think um, for the most part, I'm just very particular about what horror I like. I find that a lot of horror can be exploitative, and that's something that I really, really don't like in the art I consume. Um, but when horror is good, I can I find it to be really powerful and interesting. Like um, the horror I'm in, more interested in is not so much uh, shock or uh, just gross out weird stuff but although i do think that in moderation shock and gross out weird stuff can be cool i much more <laughs> much prefer uh cosmic horror or something yeah. like it follows 
which is a movie that Dan and I both really enjoy, or a writer like uh, Jeff Vandermeer or Kelly Link. Lots of uh, weird fiction writers are something that I've drawn a lot of inspiration from and really, really enjoy. Sure. So I'm not super familiar with cosmic horror outside the realm of Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. So it's been really refreshing to me to see like this mind-bending horror about alternate realities that don't also contain stomach-turning racism. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I want to hear about I want to hear about your um, your influences in this in this field because I don't know anything about. I saw Laird Baron is important to mm-hmm. you, Thomas Ligotti, right, uh, and also right. Vandermeer and Link. Can you tell me about? what sure. those those authors have provided for you? Sure. So weird fiction, um, it's this approach to horror where the horror is just slightly off and slightly off-putting. It's, it's not the horror of waking up and, oh my God, like a bomb's exploded or, oh my God, somebody's dead or whatever. Like it's much more the Kafka-esque oh my gosh, I'm a bug, and now I have to interact with my family as a bug. It's you wake up and, like, your best friend in the world has been replaced uh, somehow, and you don't know exactly why or how, but you know that in your gut. And so um, authors that I really like explore this very delicate, very interesting headspace of this slightly off, slightly weird, just unsettling horror that I that I really enjoy. Uh, Laird Barron is uh, one of my uh, favorite authors. He's He's got a collection of short stories. The collection's called uh, A Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All, and it's just one of my favorite uh, short story collections. Just if you like Lovecraft but don't like racism, he is the guy to go to. Uh, also, um, Jeff Vandermeer is another really important author in my conception of horror. He uh, He's written uh, the Southern Reach trilogy, which is a series of three books about this unexplored continent, and it's it was a huge influence in the second season of Archive 81. He's, he and his wife, Ann Vandermeer, have also edited a uh, huge, uh, over a thousand page, page collection of weird fiction, which is on my desk as we speak, and was a huge North Star in Archive 81. Um, as for uh, cosmic horror, uh, one of the uh, central ideas in Lovecraft that I really enjoy and took a lot of inspiration from was this sense that the world and the universe is an uncaring place that does not have humanity's best interests at heart. And that is the central fear in um, essentially everything, that fear of being small and powerless and ignorable. Yeah, and that's something I, that's a fear that I find really fascinating and interesting. Yeah, I mean, Mark and I like a lot of the same writers. Um, I, I'm a, China Mieville was like a real watershed uh, formative writer when I found him in my teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really amazed by stuff like his creature design. It was the first time the idea of world building and these bizarre universes with their own internal logic came to mind. So, you know, our tastes are pretty similar. Um, I did my capstone project at Syracuse actually on um, Franz Kafka. So he's like a, or I'm a big fan of him as a writer. Right. Yeah. 
our, our tastes are pretty aligned. I, I watch a lot of horror. Uh, some of it is trash. Sometimes I just want a good, like, trashy horror movie. But, um, yeah, basically we're on the same page in terms of liking the same weird stuff. So so I'm I'm curious to know what scares each of you. Dying alone? Okay. I mean, my real fears are very almost mundane. I'm fear, I fear, like, you know, dying alone. The idea that nobody's ever loved me or will really love me. And that, like, people won't appreciate my work and I will die having done nothing. Like, that's <laughs> that's basically it. That's what I'm really afraid of. Like, my, I feel bad being a horror person, but I, that's, there's not a lot that, like, legit scares me other than that. Just a fear, just a desperate, desperate fear of loneliness and failure. Dan, do you have anything more interesting to add? I think, I think before I before I reveal my like inner unconscious, yeah. you know, um, feelings, like I think. Even though that does, you say that's mundane. I think that's like yeah. the bedrock source material for a lot mm-hmm. of great horror. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have watched the new season of Black Mirror, which I have severely mixed feelings about. But one thing I do love is the sound design. Um, there is a episode where a character plays this like alternate reality, like VR horror game, and the arc of it is that the scariest thing that happens to him is basically sort of something like what you're talking about mark like this sense of dying alone forgetting who he is mm-hmm. sort of like disappearing becoming kind of like senile mm-hmm. uh and it's it starts with kind of like comical like monster vampire stuff and goes into that and it ends up being probably like the scariest aspect of it uh so yeah and there's just a lot of movies where i think even if it's not explicit like that's the underlying mm-hmm. you know yeah. scary part of it yeah i mean like Hopefully I'm not spoiling anything, but like the monsters and the weird shit in Archive 81, they're all metaphors. Like there's there's a reason the Visser building is in a apartment building uh, with a lot of low income residents. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that we're trying to say and trying to do with it. Like it's not the fear is exploitation and losing yourself and forgetting who you are and all these fears of stories and narratives and that's that's the underlying thing that like all the creepy weirdness goes on top of yeah dan you were you were mentioning further fears yeah i think my main one is inevitability and lack of free will and that i am fated to do things that are beyond my control which is like Mm -hmm. you know that's like kind of true like there's no free will and everything is beyond your control to a certain point yeah but the sense that inevitability governs even basic life choices like whether i'm gonna miss the train to an important job interview or like you know not get enough sleep or something i think that's what really scares me because it just gives me a sense that there's no control over anything and that that's like my one main realistic fear um yeah yeah and one of the one of the reasons that i really like Thomas Ligotti, who's who's a cosmic horror and weird fiction writer, is that his main thing is that the real fear is that we're all powerless and every literally everything is preordained and like um, there's no choice in the universe. And like a lot of his writing is essentially like um, saying that all human culture is built as a shield 
to hide us from that fact. And every so often, there are cracks in that shield and cracks in that uh, barrier. And that's something I find fascinating and weird and horrifying. So all, all that said, how, how do you scare other people? Like, what have you learned from either studying what frightens you or from what you've learned from weird fiction that you institute into your writing and other creative practices? I mean, I feel like uh, a lot of it's um, creating a world and giving the listener enough sounds and enough images to kind of let themselves conjure stuff that's more horrifying than we ever could. So that's uh, important both on a small scale and a large scale. Like on a small scale, like you can be like, oh no, something terrible has happened to this person's body. We're going to describe a little bit of it, but we're going to leave the rest of that up to your imagination. On a larger scale for plot-wise stuff, you can be like, okay, we're describing this weird entity in this strange place, um, and we're giving you enough details, but we are letting you kind of find the underlying horror, whether that's uh, this horror of powerlessness, of not being able to control your situation at all, which I think is kind of what Dan finds himself in, and especially in season two, uh, He's he's a, he's a very powerless protagonist. I mean, lots of lots of what I do in the writing process, Dan, is just finding like terrible, terrible, terrible things to do to one of my best friends in the world, which is very, very fun. Mark's mom <laughs> sent him a text saying, "Like, I don't want any more bad things to happen to Dan." I know, I know, and I felt very bad because she was only like listening to the third episode. I was like, "Oh, mom." I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's it's a, it's kind of like a running joke with our parents. It was like on yeah. my birthday this year, my mom <laughs> sent me a text saying, oh, I celebrated your birthday by listening to you being dismembered this morning while walking the dog. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Like, yeah, yeah. Our parents are surprisingly involved in this process. I mean, you're... Your dad, Dan, voices one of the main characters. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom voices. Yeah, and uh, my brother. I got the whole family roped in. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to say we, we've done it collectively. Like, I may I may write, like, the first drafts and stuff, but it's, it's a super collaborative process. Yeah, like, I mean... The terrible stuff that we've done to Dan. <laughs> I, I have to sign off on it, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. like getting, I get a form on my desk, like, yes, I approve for Dan to, you know, be dismembered here. <laughs> so how do you make sound feel? I mean, this all kind of plays into um, the question of how do you make this all feel immersive uh, and lived in? What are the design tactics that you deploy? So recording actors in the same room is really important whenever possible, uh, even though the room tone is often replaced with something else. The sound effects are not recorded there in the room. It's just pretty ideal for the feel to be right by having all the actors in the same room. Um, that's a big one. Good, like, spatialization, which means finding the right atmospheric bed sounds and not just using one, but layering several ones that feel together. Oftentimes, there'll be a room tone that makes the low end, the sort of like bassier side of the background noise feel good, but you need like a top layer also. So there tends to be two or three 
tracks of like ambient beds going on. One example of if you want like a specific technical example of how we made something immersive recently, the mercenary tape in episode two of of season two, season two. Right. So you've got the scene where these sort of Blackwater-esque mercenaries are about to explore the city. And there's two main settings. One is the outside landscape they go to. And then they're, they're sort of in this like bunker indoor area before they deploy in the bunker area. Um, they were all recorded in the same room, four mics around a table, and there was a lot of bleed between the mics. So whenever one mercenary was actor was talking, the other three mics were picking it up. And usually I go through and trim out the bleed so it sounds clear and less boxy. For the mercenary tape, uh, in order to kind of preserve that, we kept the bleed in that opening scene the sort of like sound of the room echoing around, which you don't always want, and then removed it when they moved to a new setting to kind of create the sense of isolation when they're all speaking over their walkie-talkies. Um, that's one example um, of how it's immersive. Another is just like just reverb and mixing and, you know, trying a lot of like dial it in until it feels right. Um, there's not really a one one-stop solution at the core level, the actors also have to be acting in a way that's convincingly you that they're sort of immersed in that environment. Uh, so that's really where it starts. And from there, the sound is just an extension of that. So there is, I, I feel, a lot of capitalist critique in both Archive 81 and Deepfall, right? Davenport's organization is trying to control and monetize the denizens and territory of the Outer Plane, and the antagonist Luke, or an antagonist Luke in the Deepfall, spouts a lot of empty corporate jargon to justify his actions. What's, broadly speaking, what's going on here? Um, I mean, I find that capitalism is great when, you know, Blue Apron are paying us and Adam tickets are paying us. So yeah, there's no capitalist critique in there at all. Like, I'm just as someone, as someone who genuinely enjoys the wonderful um, meals that blue apron provides us um, and thinks that they're a great value. Like I, I can't see any capitalist critique in archive 81. I mean, perhaps I could go watch a movie with a capitalist critique, perhaps even using Adam tickets. Um, that's a T O M tickets using the code <laughs> dead signals at checkout. Um, you could see whatever capitalist critique movies you want. And the great thing about Adam tickets is that you can invite your friends and you don't have to pay for them. It's really, really simple to use. You can even buy snacks. Yeah. It's really great. I'm, I'm a big fan. I actually am a big fan of Adam Tickets. It's a, it's like it's a legitimately good app. Anyway, what were you asking? Well, I guess can you tell me about Sponsorbot and Dronum? Because I I think they both accomplish two goals, right? Mm -hmm. They have the practical effect of allowing you to support the production and pay the actors through getting sponsorship, but they also allow you to get some critical distance on the business of selling stuff. Is that an accurate way to put it? Um, I mean. Personally, I don't feel weird about advertising if it's like we're not advertising Blackwater. We're advertising companies that I uh, that I'm fine with and I think make good products and we are using that money to pay actors. Like that's that's one of our big deals. We've paid actors since the very beginning. And the I'm definitely uh, not saying there's any kind of ethical concerns about the the advertisers that you take right. on. I'm just curious about the structural decisions to to kind of put the ads in the mouths of these like robot characters. Mm -hmm. Right. 
rather than like, hey, this is Mark with a special message? Honestly, I think the main thing is that we want our um, podcast to be interesting and entertaining from zero zero to the end of the podcast. And I think, I mean, SponsorBot is is funny, and I, I genuinely think that's probably my favorite performance I've ever done. I really like SponsorBot. Um, I really like SponsorBot, too. Yeah, everybody loves SponsorBot. It works so well, it makes me angry. That's <laughs> yeah. all. Okay, sorry, yeah. continue. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't anything within the um, actual show. It was just like a fun, like, okay, there's a bunch of robots in the vault. Here's a different robot. He's going to talk about, like, taking over the world and... Um, all this fun stuff. And Droman, Droman is, is in Archive 81's world. Like he's, they, rather, they are an integral part of the Archive 81 universe. And if you are not listening to those ads, you are missing plot points. Like we've, we've tied it in in an interesting way, but it is part of the plot. Uh, just like Mark's intros and outros in season one were like it's it's tied in a anyway dan do you, do you have anything um i mean just pulling and go the camera back and going from a more general thing i don't have any problem with running ads either uh yes capitalism has its shortcomings i feel very mark and i are both like severely committed to the fact that we think people should be paid for their work no matter what they're doing or how little money the production has like i i think even if you're on a shoestring budget and you're recording with like a 50 dollars usb mic if you're asking someone who's trying to build their career as an actor to come do something you should at least give them like i don't know even five or ten bucks if that's like all you can afford to spare i'm vehemently opposed to unpaid internships i think they're evil i think they're garbage and i I think it's bullshit asking anyone doing any kind of specialized skill, no matter their level of experience, to work for free. And, you know, kind of adjacent to that, I'm fine with running ads on the show. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's something that Dan and I feel extremely strongly, strongly about. And one of the uh, things that I'm proudest of is that ever since Transmission, which I paid my actors using a grant from the school, we have been paying our actors like in season one of archive 81 when we were making no money we uh viewed the actors as an expense that we paid out of our own pocket deep vault exact same thing and then season two of archive 81 we're able to pay the actors a fair amount more because we've been running these ads and to a lesser extent the patreon I want to talk about the origins of Archive 81, and this may seem awfully self-evident since the characters share your names with, I think, one small orthographic change. I think mm -hmm. Fiction Mark has a K at the end of his name, and you're a Mark with yeah. a C. Originally, we called Dan Don, but Dan was like, uh, <laughs> no, let's let's keep it the exact same name. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Daniel yeah. Powell. <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, it, well, it wouldn't have been Daniel Powell. It would have just been Donald Powell. And it, I thought, I was like, okay, that's that's a good way to, like, make sure that when people Google you, Dan, like, they don't get, like, the weird, strange fan art that's cropped up. But now, like, if you Google Daniel Powell, there's, like, paintings of you with with half your body cut off. Oh, yeah. 
I'm honestly fine with that though. Like I'd rather, cause the main thing that annoys me about Googling myself is all the people named Daniel Powell who aren't me, <laughs> um, which I know sounds insanely narcissistic. Um, but I'm really, I, it really annoys me. Like if I Google Mark Sollinger, it'll be you who comes up. Like most yep. of my friends, like I'll Google their names and they take it up. And there's so many other like, I don't know, like way to be original mom and dad. Thanks for nothing. Like, you know, <laughs> that's a joke. Well, to what, to what extent is the plot of season one based on the experience of an ordinary workday in the life of real Dan Powell listening to spooky tapes in his home? Um, the, the origins in terms of real life that sparked the idea that would lead Mark and I to come up with Archive 81 was when I was working full-time for SoundSnap, one of my jobs was listening to and cataloging every single sound effect that went live to the site. So hundreds of different sound effects per day. And it was things like door slams or like, you know, piano strings or squeaky metal or like, you know, dry ice melting. Uh, it was just a huge array of different sounds. And that I did for a pretty long time. And it was actually really educational. Um, when studios used to be more of a business, when they used to be more recording studios, usually the apprenticeship system would start out where you would start out just as a tape op and you'd just be listening. All you would be doing is hit like stop and play on the tape reel. But most of what you're doing is listening to what's happening for like a year before they even let you touch the board. Wow. And I feel like that was the equivalent of my tape op experience of just listening to a lot of different sounds and hearing um, one educational aspect of it was hearing how the same seemingly neutral sound source, like the sound of dust crumbling, something you think would be pretty like universal, how much that could vary depending on the sound designer and their vision when they recorded it. So even the most boring like cloth flapping or, you know, ambience of a city rooftop, I found they all had these different nuances depending on who was recording them. Um, and even field recordists capturing the natural world. It's just like photography. They have their own vision for how they capture it. That was helpful. So I was doing that from home, listening to lots and lots of sounds alone by myself. I have a roommate, but he works in the office during the day. And I was doing all of my workplace relations with my supervisor and et cetera over Skype. So there would be long Skype calls and then listening to lots of sounds. And an inspiration for the structure was of Archive 81 Season 1, where Dan is having these tense phone calls with Davenport and then listening to the tapes, is inspired, like, very much by that. Um, that was one of the elements that sort of sparked the idea. Uh, the sort of question Mark and I were asking when we were kicking this around when we first were starting this was, like, that's a really cool frame. How can we make that scary? Um, and from there we sort of came up with the narrative of the viscer with melody, with having like two consistent storylines between the person and the tapes. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's one piece of how real life led to uh, the plot of archive 81 season one, at least. And why tape? Why magnetic tape? What is it about that particular kind of physical media that attracts you? I think it's just interesting to listen to the sound of rustling with tapes of, I love how there's a sonic signature of the reel to reel player that Dan operates, uh, in both season one and season two, but there's the chunk when the switch is on and then the, psh, the stop, uh, the sound of the reels running. I think it's a really rich and engaging way to illustrate the mechanism of like working with listening to sound. It's way more interesting than if it was just beep 
and like hitting playback on a computer, you know? Um, another really cool thing is that tape, like magnetic tape, when rustled in your fingers, sort of, it actually can sound kind of fleshy and organic. And some of Dan's body tape recorder machine thing in season two, some of the flesh gory sounds are sourced from like reel to reel tape being like wrinkled. Oh man. And the sound of the tape playback, which has this like much more broken down and kind of staticky, grimy feel than the tape recorder in season one, uh, comes from that like magnetic tape source, like being wrinkled together and then manipulated and put through all the filters and whatnot. Mark, you said in an interview that you did with Lauren Shippen that when you write a scene, you consider the sound design elements first. Yeah. Can you run me through what that looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the the main thing that we are trying to do in Dead Signals, and this was there from the very beginning, is that we wanted the things that we made to be sound first. I mean, we're not TV people. We're not movie people. We're not book people like Dan and I work with sound as part of our day job. We're interested in making sonically rich things. And I think what that looks like in the writing process is just thinking about what the audience is going to listen to. Plot and characters, yes, but also like the sonic environment of a scene. What's going to be the interesting thing that happens sonically in this thing. And I try to have at least one, at the very least one. Most of the monsters in season two are somehow sonically based. Like, they're disintegrating, but they're singing, they're doing some weird stuff with tones. Like, it's not just, oh, it's a big monster. Look at all its teeth. Um, even when uh, we were talking about the Deep Vault, like, as we were coming up with it, like, it was important to us that the organic flesh monsters thing be dripping. Like, they're dripping weird tones, you know? But I'm always interested in whatever whatever Dan comes up with. Um, one of my favorite things is to write something in the script that's that's, like, weird monster cry, and then hear what Dan makes of that. That's one of my favorite things, uh-huh. just to hear what he comes up with. Yeah, it's, we always joke about in the writing process, like Mark wrote one cue in season two that I was just like, I was like, really, dude, really? Uh, that I think was like, sound effects, the sonic essence of the city crashes against the sonic essence of nature. And I'm just like, thanks, Mark. Wow, I appreciate yeah. you being specific. Good job. Um, like, yeah. But really, you know what I sound like. Really, though, um, stuff like that is not like hard. I mean, it takes time to put it together, require it, but the process of making it is really playful and fun and just a matter of experimenting, trying different things. Um, it's not really like tedious. The really hard shit is like, Oh, everyone needs to get up and leave the room and walk into a hallway that's a different size from the conference room. That's like, it's not hard. It's just time consuming and, and more tedious to make that feel right. Um, and it's, it's interesting that like the more, what you think would be the more challenging, uh, composite sounds that Mark, the mad scientist requests in the script actually are the ones that are most fun and, you know, take seemingly seem to take the least time to do. So, Mm -hmm. What are you at liberty to discuss about upcoming Dan and Mark projects? 
We are um, working on the end of Archive 81's second season, and that's going to be really cool and a bunch of, once again, terrible things that'll happen to Dan Powell. As always, after that, there will be a two-episode... What what have we called it? Like it's like a mini, it's like an in universe mini series kind of like two episode in universe mini series. Yeah, and then after that, there is an untitled indie music project. Dan, how much how much can we go go into? I think we can give the elevator pitch, which is it's like Scott Pilgrim meets This Is Spinal Tap. It's a indie musical radio mockumentary. Yes, sounds fabulous. And that's we'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a really wonderful, wide ranging conversation. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it, David. This is awesome. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you again, Dan and Mark. If you want to keep up with their adventures on the internet, follow Archive 81 on Twitter or Facebook. And remember to hunt down their podcasts and subscribe. That just about does it for today, my friends, but please stay tuned for more fabulous radio drama revival. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating on iTunes and tell your friends about us. We are a part of the Wondery Network, and the Wondery Network needs to know stuff about you so they can sell ads so we can keep the show going. Tell them your demographic details, please, at wondery.com slash survey. It will really help the show. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. Now, here are some credits. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger, who hails from beautiful, lush Oakland, California. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Eli McElveen, who is raising money for season two of his show, Alba Salix Royal Physician. Check out their Indiegogo at albasalix.com slash season two. You won't regret it. It's not a traditional credits lie, but whatever. albasalix.com slash season two. Our other line producer is Matthew Boudreau, who lives in upstate New York, but definitely does not have a mysterious collection of nightmarish tapes for sale over at theuberduo.com, including a very spooky cabin with a wood stove full of demons. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. Heather used to work as a county haunted building inspector, but the haunted spirits of the buildings were really mean to her, so she sued them. And then the spirits were banished as part of the damages awarded, and now she works in a research lab. True story. Monique definitely also doesn't have a mysterious collection of immersive and spooky-type tapes over at theuberduo.com, like a creepy fridge that is maybe also full of unspeakably old yogurt. Man, you don't know. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch, who would just like me to be professional for once, okay, and never stop recording. Never, ever stop recording. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and leather gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... 
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.